Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will examine the reflation versus stagflation debate and what recent market activity is suggesting about which scenario is more likely to materialize. Joining me for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, good morning. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here on a Tuesday this week. Absolutely. Better late than never, as they say, right, Jason? But I know you recently yeah. authored a blog which examines the reflation versus stagflation debate. So maybe we can unpack that a bit. I will point out up front that uh, the blog is now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO for our listeners, our clients. But just to unpack this a bit, Jason, can you speak to the argument for both scenarios playing out? Again, reflation versus stagflation. So this is one of the bigger debates that's taking place among investors in the market. It really comes down to what is the fundamental economic outlook right now and where are we headed going forward, which is separate from some of these other issues that have been dominant in headlines like the debt ceiling in you know, China, Evergrande, things like that. And to think about like reflation versus stagflation, I mean, there's no standard accepted definition of what each means. I think you have to sort of define them you know, relative to each other to some extent. And if you just look at it, sort of basic macro variables, you know, growth rates, inflation, and uh, interest rates, reflation sort of is a scenario where you're seeing a rise in growth or higher growth, you know, higher inflation and higher interest rates, all, you know, maybe from low levels going to, you know, good levels or, or reasonable levels. And that was what we had kind of last year, uh, at this time last year and the start of this year. So inflation is, is more of a situation where, you know, growth is actually maybe moderating. Uh, it could be a low level. Inflation is either rising or it's still at high levels, and interest rates are rising or have to rise even more to combat the inflation. So there's similarities in terms of like the direction of inflation and level of inflation interest rates. One of the differences is growth. The other sort of difference is that you know, reflation, again, is more of a benign or good situation because you're starting from kind of low levels, whereas inflation, you're already maybe at elevated levels, and you're, you're moderate in the case of growth. Last year, when we had this reflation sort of narrative, it was really kind of a, a positive situation, a positive demand shock for the economy. Uh, you know, we got positive news on the vaccine, vaccinations rolled out, so the economy was opening up. At the same time, there was additional fiscal stimulus, you know, in December of last year, and also in March, you know, that gave really money to, you know, to have people in their, in their checkbooks so they can go out and spend and buy. So that kind of lifted the economy, that sort of drove the markets last year. Now it's a little bit different. The concern is that, you know, the economy is cooling, growth is slowed over the summer, inflation is staying stubbornly high, maybe it will stay that way, and interest rates are rising, and maybe the Fed has to kind of move aggressively. Uh, so that's, that's the, you know, the, what are the scenarios are, uh, and that's kind of what the market's kind of grappling with, which one of these two scenarios uh, uh, you know, will play out. I think that that sort of remains to be seen yet. So, Jason, it was interesting as I was reading through your blog, Grad School Economics, you do take some time to reflect on the kind of market activity we have witnessed over the past few weeks. We have seen some periods of volatility. It was interesting because you questioned what kind of scenario these performance patterns are indicative of, and it's not quite as clear-cut as one would think. So, what are your observations? Well, let's think, you know, like from the reflation trade as it really began in last, uh, you know, this time last year, the fourth quarter of last year, continued up to basically almost like mid-March of this year. And what were the characteristics? Well, we saw, you know, equities rise in that case. But in particular within equities, we saw 
uh, you know, small cap equities, mid cap do well as cyclical you know, stories have kind of benefiting from this kind of recovery and growth and inflation levels. We saw value stocks, you know, which is financials, energy, be outperformers, even, you know, emerging markets some sort of global sectors did well. Commodities rose in that time period with oil prices going up and other metals. Uh, interest rates lagged in the fourth quarter, but they started to rise early in the year and then really kind of took off in February and March when there was a big move. Uh, and as a result, that also led to the underperformance of growth stocks, which tend to be, especially if they're really long-term future growth, kind of sensitive to higher rates, because as rates go higher, then you're less willing to pay a lot for growth that may materialize five or 10 years down the line. So that was the reflation trade. If we look at the past you know, couple of weeks, and even go back to maybe early September, you see similar situations where you know, value stocks, financial energy in particular, has been leading the way. Uh, you know, small caps, to some extent, have done better. We've seen commodities do very well in this time period. Uh, interest rates have risen. We saw just over the course of a couple of weeks, you know, the tenure went from 1.3%, uh, peaking close to 1.6, and now it's around 1.5. So that all looks similar to the inflation trade. The difference, though, is at the level of equities, it's down. So it's almost if you take the distribution and you shift it down. So on one hand, things look similar to last year in terms of a relative performance of reflation, but the absolute level of equity returns is now negative for the past five weeks, around minus 5% for the S&P. That's more consistent with stagflation because in stagflation, you're worried about you know, you know, interest rates having to go up or the Fed having to raise rates in the future. Uh, you're worried about growth kind of slowing, not rising. Uh, and we even saw you know, the dollar rise over the past month as opposed to during inflation last year, it weakened. It weakens when the global environment looks better. It's a risk-on situation. People move away from the U.S. When people are concerned about the risk outlook, there's this tendency towards kind of flight to safety, which is buying U.S. assets, and the dollar kind of strengthened you know, as a result. So there's a bit of both that you can sort of look and say, well, there's sort of consistent scenarios, and it depends on how you want to perceive it. Uh, you know, and so I think time will tell which will play out. But right now, the market's kind of you know struggling with trying to figure out what is the right narrative going forward, what's the right way the markets are going to evolve, and which way should you be positioning. So, Jason, with that in mind, as you pointed out, a case can clearly be made for either scenario, but the CIO have a stance with respect to this reflation versus stagflation debate as to which outcome scenario is more likely? So we think it's more likely to be reflation, and, and more than sort of reflation specifically, it's probably we won't get stagflation. So we, we, and a lot of people are still very much in this inflation is ultimately kind of you know, transitory. It's really not sustained at the elevated levels, uh, and that these concerns about kind of growth slowing. I think you need to put this in perspective. Uh, we will still get four percent probably GDP in the fourth quarter, and there is evidence that the U.S. economy is actually accelerating a little bit from the slowdown that really kind of materialized in August when the COVID cases, you know, uh, increased. And you can see it just like literally in travel data, the number of people taking flights or booking tickets in hotels and in restaurants, things that are very sensitive to COVID activity. Uh, so we think, you know, growth will still be very solid. But just on the pandemic itself, there is this trend with certain bumps in the road, but over the past year plus, since the worst of the pandemic first hit, of the economy or and, and being able to sort of manage through it. And so whether it is, you know, the vaccinations causing things to open up, uh, first in the U.S., but now we're seeing significant opening in other parts of the world. And other countries that had a zero-tolerance policy where they have strict lockdowns, now that their vaccination rates are going higher, they're kind of abandoning that. New Zealand just yesterday sort of made that announcement. Uh, last week we had the news uh, from Merck of uh, successful trials on a pill that can be taken by you know people who have COVID that reduces by 50% the chance they're going to have to go to the hospital. So incrementally our ability to sort of manage these 
the COVID situation is improving, which is critical to the other thing that's really kind of invest, investors are concerned with, which is these supply chain disruptions. A lot of talk about that, but we're probably at the peak level of these disruptions. And as, again, economies around the world can more synchronize, open up, uh, and move forward, these pressures should alleviate as we go as, as we move forward. That, again, is to take off some of the inflation pressures. Uh, so when we think about those kind of factors on energy prices, that's another thing that's driving sort of the inflation narrative. Uh, it's likely, though, that prices you know won't go much higher. Maybe you know in the very short term, a little bit more momentum, but ultimately by year, and we still think they're going to be around the same level, maybe even a little bit lower. So that inflation push will start to moderate uh, as we move later to this year and next year. So you add this all up. I think the concerns that people point to is why we can get stagflation. I think we can chip away those arguments and say, well, ultimately, we move into next year. By the end of next year, inflation will come down quite a bit. We can't say that with high conviction, because unlike the inflation narrative, which was a clear sort of positive story on demand, where you literally gave people money to spend and more places to spend it, that's a pretty simple economics 101 uh, situation. Well, that's going to have a positive impact on the economy. The supply situation is more complicated. The supply chains are interconnected they're that they're you know globally structured something happens in one space you don't really know fully understand what are the ramifications sort of downstream which is why the title of the blog is grad school economics it's just a much harder problem to kind of assess and therefore i think our confidence level and investors confidence level right now is lower even though i think most people are still leaning towards our view but until you get more comfort i think your your people are a little bit less willing to fully embrace the reflation narrative is back as opposed to thinking it still could be stagflation. That's where the market is tension right now is in the marketplace. Okay. Well, well, Jason, the clarity you shared, helpful outlining the reasons why CIO believes positioning for reflation is the correct tactical strategy. Maybe as a closing point, Jason, can you speak to how that view translates to allocation, the steps that investors should take to position their portfolios? So if we do get reflation and it, you know, it continues, we think we'll see Things like you know value stocks, financial energy, you know, be the outperformers as they have been in recent weeks. Uh, you know we still like mid cap, which gives you some of that exposure to cyclicality that small cap has, but not quite as as much risk. We still think you know commodities, in some sense, as an inflation hedge. You know even if commodity prices maybe can't go that much higher without really starting to slow the economy, but as an inflation hedge or a hedge against stagflation, they're they're attractive. Uh, you know we're thinking about interest rates rising, so you want to be protected against things that are really sensitive to higher interest rates. So that means kind of, you know, be cautious on growth stocks. Uh, it also means, uh, you know, things like, you know, long duration fixed income, like investment grade corporate credit is less attractive. Senior loans, which have protection against, uh, you know, rising interest rates, a little bit more attractive. The good thing about some of these recommendations is that they're very similar to whether you think inflation or, or, or reflation is the right narrative or ultimately we go down to inflation. These should be relative outperformers. The difference between the two is like how much kind of risk you want to want to take, you know, and be overweight equities in your portfolio, how much maybe you want to be protecting against real significant drawdowns and buy sort of downside protection. Ultimately, we think, especially as we kind of had the bit of a pullback in the past month, that the direction by the end of the year is still higher. Uh, and, and so that's the right position. And that's kind of what we're recommending for investors, especially if you can look through the next three to six months. 
and look and kind of get past the next month where there's still likely to be a significant amount of volatility. Well, Jason, as you put it a few moments ago, time will tell, though it, it is a fascinating debate and do appreciate the insights, Jason, into which outcome from the vantage point of the chief investment office is more likely to materialize and why, along with the guidance you offered with respect to how to position accordingly. So something will continue to track very closely, Jason, and uh, perhaps we'll look forward to having a follow-up conversation, though. Thank you again for joining us as always, and I wish you a nice week ahead, Jason. You're welcome, and have a great week. Thank you, Jason. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the blog which Jason has been making reference to during our conversation today, a Grad School Economics. So for clients of UBS, be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about today's topic or if you would like to receive a copy of the blog directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.